Relationships can be one of the most rewarding parts of life and also one of the most challenging. The people we love bring us incredible joy as we create special memories, carry each other's burdens, and comfort each other in hard times. But the people we care about most are also the people who have the capacity to hurt us the most. Sometimes they forget us, hurt our feelings, or make us mad without even intending to. Seeing our loved ones go through pain can make us feel helpless. And the grief we feel when we lose them is perhaps the deepest pain imaginable. So is the age-old saying really true that it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all? Let's see what the Bible has to say about that. Welcome back to Because She Believed, the story of Mary. We are concluding our series with our final episode, The More, The Merrier. Up until now, Mary has been through a lot. As an unmarried teenage girl, she was called by an angel to give birth to the Son of God. She made a grueling trek to an unfamiliar place and gave birth to Jesus in a noisy, dirty, dingy stable. She was approached multiple times by strangers telling her what an important child she had and that she had a great and possibly painful journey ahead of her. And now, as her whole world has turned upside down, most of the world around her seems to carry on as usual. She's left with the monumental day-to-day task of caring for and raising Jesus. The decisions she makes and the influence she has on Jesus will be unparalleled. It's safe to say that no other human being knew Jesus as well, knew Jesus as long, or knew Jesus as intimately as Mary did. It's a big deal that God entrusted her with this role. The journey she is on is incredibly important, but most of it, no one will see. There will be no round of applause for Mary at the end of each day, no special status, no special wealth. But there will be an incredible hope given to the world because Mary believed God saw her and that what God told her was true. These are the stories that God loves the overlooked struggles and victories of unsung heroes whose actions send ripples through history that will leave our world never the same. Mary's story teaches us that we become these unsung heroes through our relationships. For Mary, the relationship in which she left the deepest impact was with her son. In parenting, there is deep pain, crippling fear, mountains of guilt, and incredible joy. And yet so much of it goes unnoticed and unpraised. It has the highest stakes with the lowest thanks. But God sees us and that is all that matters. You also don't need to be a parent to relate to this feeling of powerlessness and invisibility. Understanding what Mary felt during this time in her life can help us not only have an appreciation of our own parents, but recognize how deeply God sees us and maybe even teach us how to lead and love others this way too. Luke 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. 
When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. It's been 12 years since that fateful night in a stable in Bethlehem. You've watched Jesus grow up before your eyes. You've gone through cycles of fear of the future, anger and sadness over seeing him in pain, and excitement and pride in watching him grow. And just like any family, you have your family traditions. Every year, you travel together to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. As you travel together with donkeys braying, sand blowing, and your friends and relatives around you chattering, you reflect on how far your family has come. Jesus is now around the age you were when God called you, and your vision has only grown since then. You are convinced that your son is going to change the world. You enjoy the festival with your family. You savor those little moments of eating food, laughing, and spending time together. You know the time will come when these moments dwindle, so you want to hold on to them while you can. That time comes sooner than you expected. As you travel back, you catch up with friends and relatives you haven't seen since last year. You haven't seen Jesus today, but that kid is so social, he's probably hanging out with his cousins or learning a stranger's whole life story. But as you camp for the night and everyone slowly disperses to their own family's tents, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Panic rises in you, that fearful heartbeat pulsing through your whole body. And guilt sinks deep into you with a pit in your stomach growing into your chest. Where'd he go? Where could he be? Why was I so careless? Did I just lose the Son of God forever? You and Joseph scramble all of your belongings together and all but fly back to Jerusalem. Luke 2, verse 46. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Your panic and guilt turn into anger and hurt. Your 12-year-old son is sitting on the temple steps, surrounded by old men talking over each other to get to speak to him. How could he do this to us? Why are these people talking to him? What is going to become of this kid? You don't know what to think as your emotions and questions swirl through your mind. Luke 2, verse 49. But why did you need to search? Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. You've been so used to raising your son that you don't realize he's becoming his own person. He's learning, growing, and developing into the man he will later become. Though you don't understand these things now, you store them in your heart. It's these little things added to the vision you had long before he was born that keep you going. Seeing Jesus do things beyond your control or influence is scary, but he's becoming thoughtful, kind, loving, and inquisitive. Despite your mistakes, he's growing anyway. Seeing who he's becoming makes the pain and fear worth it. Let's take a minute to pause and reflect. If you're a parent, conflicting feelings of fear, guilt, and joy may be all too familiar. 
Watching your kids grow up to become their own people is scary, and you may start feeling sad or left behind. Or maybe you feel worried you aren't cut out for it, that your mistakes or flaws are going to mess up your kids. But making those small decisions like Mary to believe is what makes those feelings worthwhile. This doesn't just apply to parents. Parenting is one relationship where we have to put ourselves and our own emotions aside to care for someone else. But actually, all good relationships require this. Let's check in with our editor-in-chief, Russ Ewell, about what we can learn from this moment in Mary's life. Russ, what can those of us who are parents learn from Mary about how to raise kids despite the fear we might feel? And what about those listening to the story who are not parents? You know, one of the things that happened to me when I was young is I, I'd be playing basketball in front of my house and there were some younger kids in the neighborhood who would come over and uh, and watch me shooting and practicing. And then eventually I'd be like, hey, you want to shoot? And three or four of them would start shooting and they didn't know how to shoot and they didn't know how to dribble. So I'd start teaching them how and going, okay, here's what you got to do. And and I, w- I would do that. I was like a, a senior in high school. And... Um, Eventually, they started coming by almost every day, and I'd be in the house. They'd knock on the door, and and they asked my mom, "Is Russ home?" These were eight-year-olds, and I was sixteen, and uh, they was Russ home, and I'd come out and, and I'd show them how to play, and they were all into that and thought it was so awesome. Eventually, I'd go off to college, and my mom called me and she said, "Hey, uh, your your friends keep coming by the house. I can't convince them you're gone." And they keep going, "Is Russ home?" They come by every. They literally came by every day asking if I was home. And my mom go, "He went away to college. He's in Boston." And they'd come back the next day. They go, "Is, is he back?" And then my mom be, "No, he's not back." Because I was learning how to be a parent at 16, 17 years old. So nobody out there, whether you have a kid of your own or you have a neighbor friend or a nephew, a niece, everyone starts being a parent as soon as they start caring about someone younger than them. And so really in this part where we talk about parenting, everybody should have children. As we get older in life, we become mentors at work. We teach younger people how to be effective and successful in their jobs. That's a form of parenting. Coaching is a form of parenting. Teaching is a form of parenting. So everybody goes through that. And what's the number one thing I learned? Well, I learned this from a good friend named Al Beard. I went to him and my kids were very young and I said, I'm a little nervous about making mistakes and that my teen kids get older. They, they won't want to be Christians. They won't want to do anything. And he said, Russ, you need to get over that. And I said, well, well, how? He goes, you need to understand, you're not going to possibly make mistakes. You're absolutely going to make mistakes. And I put down on my paper, I wrote down as a parent, Failure is never fatal. You say, well, hey, you can say that, but Mary was the perfect parent. Mary and Joseph left Jesus behind. Hey, do you really think you've blown it more than to leave the son of God behind, like forget him and leave him? No, you didn't do that. So you're good. The other thing is raising your kids should transform your walk with God. We learned about this in Genesis 5 with Enoch. It says that Enoch walked with God, three, he lived 365 years, but he walked with God for 300 years, and those years began after the birth of his son, Methuselah. Guess what? In Acts 1.14, Jesus has lived, been crucified, been raised from the dead, and now there's only 120 people left who are firmly committed to believing in him. And guess who's there? Acts 1.14. All these with one mind and one purpose were continually devoting themselves to prayer, waiting together along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You see, Jesus changed Mary's life. 
sometimes we're so busy trying to get our kids to achieve. We're trying to so busy measuring our kids' success. We're so busy worrying about our kids. We don't realize that if we parent them the way God wants us to parent them, we will grow. And if we grow, they will grow. And that's exactly what happened with Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was there from beginning to end, unfaltering, unfailing, always believing. Thanks, Russ. It helps to remember that when we help others grow, we will grow too. The years pass. You have more kids after Jesus and go through the same process of dealing with fear, pain, and joy all over again. When Jesus is 30, he embarks on the mission God had set out for him so many years ago. You hear stories from across Israel of him speaking powerfully, healing diseases, and courageously standing up for people who couldn't speak up for themselves. But what you're most proud of is that he's seeking out the lost, the unnoticed, the overlooked, and showing them that they are seen, they are loved, and they have a purpose too. One day, as you walk home and carry about your normal routine, the streets begin to flood with people, rushing toward one unknown location. What's going on? You ask the person next to you. Jesus is here. You run home as fast as you can. As you excitedly pull your other sons behind you, you can hear Jesus' voice in the distance, authoritative yet gentle, calling on everyone who will listen to not just empty their hearts of sin, but fill them up with God. You reach the house where Jesus is speaking, but the crowd is so large you can't even get to the door. You notice one of Jesus' friends standing nearby. You nudge and maneuver your way over to him and ask him to do you a favor. Matthew 12, 46. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, Look, here's my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Uh, okay. Ouch. This is probably not what you expect to hear, and it would be easy to interpret it as rejection. Just like with the angel all those years ago, you are faced with a decision. Will you respond to Jesus' statement by letting discouragement or insecurity take over and take what he said as rejection? Or will you build off of the vision of that first faithful choice and decide to be proud of what he just said? Jesus isn't necessarily saying you are unimportant, but in his typical fashion, he is taking this opportunity to teach. He wants to encourage those who follow God that they are family to him. God decided that you were important even when you didn't feel like it, and now it's time for others to hear that from Him as well. Jesus is saying that those who follow God now have the chance to be part of His family too. When you chose faith and said yes to God's call, you knew it wasn't about you. And even still, in this moment, Jesus seems to remind you, this purpose is bigger than you and Him. Let's take a moment to pause and reflect. What we let dominate our hearts is what will determine how we see and what we hear in our relationships. If we let insecurity, anger, guilt, and our focus on ourselves dominate our hearts, we will take comments like the one Jesus made as rejection. We will feel like all the work we put in doesn't matter because we are unappreciated, forgotten, and cast aside. 
But if we let faith, vision, and purpose direct our hearts, we will see the bigger picture. We will understand that the struggles and work we do are never a waste, they never go unnoticed, because God is using everything for a purpose bigger than us. Let's check in with Mary a few years later. You've watched your son grow his ministry, gaining both followers and enemies. As you travel to Jerusalem for the Passover, you may be reminiscing on past years with your family. You chuckle to yourself as you remember that time you almost lost Jesus and shudder as that familiar panic washes over you. It's been a long, hard journey full of sorrow, worry, and joy alike, but every second of it has been worth it. But the sigh of contentment you let out gets caught in your throat when you hear the news. Your son has been put on trial to be sentenced to death. The next 24 hours are a blur. You can't hear your family urging and practically dragging you to join them as they go to the trial. You can't hear the crowds around you shouting repeatedly to crucify Jesus. You can't see the governor washing his hands in front of the crowd to absolve himself of the guilt of killing him. All you hear is that all too familiar heartbeat, beating, pounding, throbbing throughout your whole body. And all you see is your son, bloodied and battered in pain. Other people see in front of them a healer, a teacher, maybe a blasphemer, a rebel, or a prophet. But who you see before you is that 12-year-old boy, that boy who would talk to anyone he saw, that boy who cried over the thought of someone in pain, that boy who asked questions, who loved listening, who saw people for who they were and who they could become. That boy is your son, and they are sending him to be killed on the cross. As you look up at your son on that cross, you may have a feeling of complete helplessness wash over you. Is there something you could have done differently or not done to prevent this? Was all the work Jesus did a waste? Why did God choose you all those years ago if he was going to let this happen? As these thoughts fill up your mind and you almost drown in them, you hear Jesus' quiet but strong voice. John 19, verse 25. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here's your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Your mind flashes back to Simeon, who prophesied about who Jesus would become and how a sword would pierce your very soul. So that's what this feeling is. It's this stabbing, agonizing pain that pulsates through your whole body and rings in your ears. It's this empty, gaping hole in your gut, threatening to swallow you completely. And you almost let it until Jesus' voice pierces through the pain. He sees you. He loves you. And even up on that cross, he reminds you, you are not alone. And you realize that this was the plan all along. Through all the pain, hardship, and unseen struggle, God saw and cared about you through it all. None of it was a waste. And you understand that this isn't just about you. It's not even just about Jesus. It's about everyone in pain, every unseen heart, 
every lonely soul and God showing them that they are noticed, they are chosen, and they are loved. Let's take a moment to pause and reflect. This was an extremely difficult and painful moment for Mary. But Jesus saw his mother and her pain mattered to him. The work she put into raising him, the faith and vision that sustained her through it all did not go unnoticed. We may feel that the work we do is unimportant or the pain we go through is nothing compared to others. But no matter how small, no matter how silent, our pain and our work matter to God. But not only that, when we see that God carries our pain, we are freed up to see the unseen around us and show them that they are loved too. This is such a monumental moment for Mary. Let's get some thoughts from Russ about what we can learn from it. Mary knew. Mary knew there was going to come a point where she was going to hurt. He said, "A soul, your, your own heart, your own soul will be pierced. She had to let God used Jesus in a way that would result in her having pain. And guess what? She didn't know how she was going to have pain. Mary didn't know ahead of time that she'd be standing and watching her son die on a cross. Mary didn't know ahead of time that she'd have to watch him be beaten. And yet throughout the entire time, Mary trusted God's process. Mary believed that God's purpose, that God's path and that God's plan required Jesus do what he did. And she stayed in there the entire time. And if you watch a lot of accounts, there's a great uh, series called The Chosen about Jesus you can watch. If you watch the accounts, what you'll find is that many times history remembers Mary as the one who kept believing it was possible that even after he had died, that he'd come back. What does this tell us about parenting? If you have a relationship with God, then we, as those who walk with God, have to trust him that if he got us where we needed to be, he's going to get our kids where they need to be. And that's a lot easier to say than it is to do. So I hope you'll join me on that journey. And remember this, after these three episodes on Mary, learning to believe, Mary, a young girl who changed the world, don't just think about Mary, Think about yourself in this holiday season, when you're slicing the turkey, the ham, when you're eating that cranberry sauce, those garlic mashed potatoes, when you're singing those songs or watching those holiday movies, remember this, what you and I are really celebrating is God's desire to let us be a part of his purposes, to put us on a path to let us be part of his plan that will change the world just like Mary's life changed the world. Awesome. Thanks, Russ. What are some areas of your life where you can let go of control and decide to trust God's process? Who are some relationships in your life that you can have an unshakable vision for? After this painful moment on the cross, Jesus is raised from the dead, and we can assume Mary gets to see her son again before he gets lifted into heaven. Because in Act 1, after Jesus says his final goodbyes to his disciples and instructs them to go change the world, we see her in their midst. Act 1, verse 13. Arriving there, they went into a large second-floor room to pray. Those present were Peter, John, Jacob, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, Jacob, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, 
Judas, the son of Jacob, and a number of women, including Mary, Jesus' mother. His brothers were there as well. All of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding night and day. The very people Jesus calls his brothers and family, Mary embraces as her own as well. The pain and sadness she endured do not deter her from her vision, but only fuel it. She's invested, committed to making the dream happen. This is a faith she got before Jesus was born, and it continues and only grows stronger after he died. Her faith isn't dependent on what she can see, but rooted in God and is a tower built on the foundation of that one small decision to believe. Imagine you're Mary. You tiredly climb the stairs and enter a room full of lives that your son personally touched and changed for good. You see a piece of him in each of them. In Peter, you see his ability to befriend anyone. In John, his gentleness. In Thomas, you see his questioning nature and his passionate conviction in James. You could understand why Jesus loved these guys so much. You already changed the world once by deciding to say yes to God. Now it's time to change the world again, and you can't wait to get started. Well, there you have it. The story of Mary, or what I like to call the real Christmas story. I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot about what it truly means to have faith and the kinds of people who we may not always notice, but are extraordinary to God. As you finish that hot cocoa, take some time to think about what impossible things could happen because you believed. Merry Christmas to all, and to all, a good silent night. I'll see you around. Thanks for listening to our series entitled Because She Believed, The Story of Mary. A quick note about our narrations. Our storytelling is based on the Bible, historical research, and our best guess. Only the Bible verses are the inspired word of God, and the storytelling is added to help us experience the scriptures as if we were there. If you like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe and drop us a line at podcast at deepspirituality.com. 